coming up next on the wet fly swing podcast but it's also it's it's you know it's a mind-bending idea for them because they've been building rods a certain way for so long so it took a, a long time also to get them really on board with the idea yeah tough to get everybody in the supply chain on board with this and then um honestly you know marketing and talking to people is is tough with this rod to spread this idea because they're like what is this that was derek rodell sharing some of the struggles in getting the word out on his new rod concept get ready for something extremely different today this is the wet fly swing fly fishing show Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thank you for stopping by the show. Derek Rodell is here to share his story of the why behind this very unique rod that he has created and is uh, getting the word out there today. The story is a good one and the rod is even more interesting. There are no guides, it packs down in a few seconds to fit in literally in your back pocket and uh, it has the reel, the line, the fly, everything is ready to go. So this is pretty cool. You've probably been hearing a little about this one. We're gonna get the full story today. Quick reminder before we get going here that Derek is offering 20% off uh, the rod that we discussed today. You can head over to raregear.com, use the coupon code wetfly20 to get 20% off. That's R-E-Y-R-G-E-A-R.com, raregear.com. Are you ready to get going today? So without further ado, here is Derek Rodell from raregear.com. How's it going, Derek? Yeah, hey, it's going great, Dave. Thanks for getting me. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for putting this together. We, we've been talking about this for a little while now to, to hear the, uh, the Rare Gear story. We've got you on this year as a sponsor and uh, it's been exciting to share this product because this thing you have, this rod and, and your line is, is really unique. So we're going to dig into that for those folks that don't know what you have going here. Um, but before we get into all that, take us back to your story. I always love to hear the fly fishing story. How did you get into fly fishing? Yeah, for sure. It's always a good story. Um, so I actually got into fly fishing with my father at the same time. <clears throat> and it was actually a result of he was biking along the Trinity River in uh, Northern California, and he found a nice custom-made fiberglass fly rod on the side of the road. It looks like someone put it on top of their truck or set it up on the side of the road and drove away, something like that. There was a fully set up rod laying on the side of the road as he rode his bike by. And he picked it up and rode it into town, asked around, and no one claimed it. So he brought home this rod as I was into spin fishing, me and my father both. And uh, we started getting into fly fishing after we had this rod in hand. And uh, really trying to refine this new fun skill to help us explore and uh, fish in a new way. And when I was about nine years old is when he came home with that rod and, you know, literally hooked me into this new arm of the sport. It was amazing. Wow. Wow. So that is a cool story. That's definitely a new one we haven't heard, you know, the, the found on the side of the road. The first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, we had a karmic outdoors on. I'm not sure if you've heard about them, but they do these, they place a label on your gear. So just in case you do just mm. that, you walk away and, and your rod drops off. It's got a barcode 
that you can kind of scan or not a barcode a uh, you know it's got one of the codes so you'll know it'll instantly pop up who you know how to return it sort of thing but no but this is yeah. back in the day obviously before any t- any high tech stuff so you had this fraud and uh, and so you get this rod back so I mean do you instantly just next day go out start casting the rod or what would that look like I don't know if it was next day but it was pretty soon after we we figured out that this is this is different. This is really cool. And uh, I forget if we went to try to go fishing first or actually it was, uh, I grew up in Northern California, just north of San Francisco. So we went into the casting ponds at Golden Gate Field in San Francisco that maybe some people know mm-hmm. about. And they had a kid's casting clinic. And uh, I really took to that. We figured out casting. And I later actually became an instructor there for the other kids. You know, I was maybe, let's say I was 12 and 13 later. And then I was teaching the younger kids and other entry kids. So that was really fun. That is cool. Wow. So so now we're back to, you know, again, we've talked about the Golden Gate Casting Club a number of times. I'm curious on that because it is, you know, obviously another life, right? You're another person who's been influenced by that. Uh, Take us to that club real quick for for those who don't, uh, who haven't been there. Do you remember pretty well? uh, you know, what, oh, yeah. what's that like when you walk down to that club? Uh, the club is pretty awesome. So you drive in. So we, we go south over the Golden Gate Bridge and you enter into the, you know, beautiful city of San Francisco. And then soon after you get into the park and uh, the casting ponds are basically directly across the street from uh, the bison field in Golden Gate Park, which is pretty interesting. And yeah, they have like a herd of bison there that wow. you can go check out as a civilian. And then across the street, there is a, uh, with eucalyptus trees all around. So you would never even see the casting ponds. If you're walking around, you have to purposely walk up, uh, you walk up and there's uh, I believe it's three large, very large casting ponds. And, um, yeah, plenty of clearance to make, you know, 100-foot casts and line people up in boxes and there's targets around. And then there's a little clubhouse where they can have barbecues and, you know, mm-hmm. discussions on off-the-water topics, let's say, not directly casting. So Right, right. So it's a whole thing. Yeah. And, then, and you spent quite a bit of time there in your kind of teenage years or what was that? Was that kind of the place you would go or what other things did you have going on during that time? Yeah, so during that time, I was like, yeah, between like 9 and 12 or 13, we would go there a lot. And um, after about that, though, I guess I was in middle school then, and I don't know, things got busier maybe, or maybe we just went fishing more. We probably just mm-hmm. went fishing more, actually, after that. Um, and But yeah, it really got me into the sport. It got me figuring out how to cast, and this first rod I had was a fiberglass fly rod so that was really fun to master and i realized i really only realized later that i had this you know beautiful casting machine that people desire um Uh uh-huh and it was great do you remember the rod itself that you found there yeah so i actually still have the rod Uh, cool and uh it was like a a boyd something custom rod it was a eight foot six weight fiberglass rod and it actually had a like a black foam handle which was mm. a little bit weird yeah but uh, it's uh yeah it said like boyd customs on it and you know handwritten the specs and um yeah it was a two-piece rod 
and is actually kind of part of the founding story of my company later because I tried to take this thing everywhere. I literally fished with that rod for 20 years and, um, you know, a little hiatus in college in fishing. And then after college, I picked that rod back up again and I did some backpacking trips and bike trips where I'd uh, kind of just velcroed it basically to the top tube of the bike and as a two-piece rod it was real long and stuck out and I never had a case for this rod also because yeah we found it on the side of the road <laughs> but um but I later broke this rod in transit as I was backpacking handing my backpack down a rock to a friend to try to traverse the rock better and uh when it broke I kind of also noticed inside the rod hey it's hollow in there Hmm. Interesting. Huh. And that makes sense. But um, then I started thinking about, you know, how better to make a fly rod travel and um, well, how I shouldn't break my rod by accident. Yeah. But um, we can get into that more later. But yeah, but yeah, I fished that rod for 20 years. And if we had that little tag with someone's name and phone number on it, I guess I don't know if I'd get into fly fishing. That's right. You know what the amazing thing is, is that right now, you know, that person might be listening to this episode, which would be really cool, right? To be like, wow, that th- that was my rod. I mean, the chances that are probably pretty slim, but but maybe. And then, uh, and you were on the Trinity River, which is also cool because that's, uh, you know, obviously California and that part of the world is is this amazing connection and the history there to fly fishing. I mean, mm-hmm. have you been, has California always been your place? I know recently you, you did you move over to Greece for a little bit, but now you're back visiting yeah so i'm splitting my time actually over in europe as my wife is starting a non-profit in greece that is similar to the americorps model if anybody knows that mm-hmm. um but other than that yeah i've spent most of my life in california and it's yeah it's a great place it's an amazing place um but i've always traveled and looked over the fence at other places and never quite pulled the trigger until now where we're splitting time in Europe. You know, it's not just moving to a neighboring state, but we really made a pretty big jump. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into the rod because I love that story, how the, the transition there, but I, I just want to hit on this a little bit, you know, for those that haven't been, you know, traveled abroad or at least lived abroad, um, you know, what's the difference? So California versus Greece. I mean, is that, uh, give us a comparison there. Mm. Yeah, the lifestyle is different. I mean, technically, the um, you know the weather and such is actually kind of similar. You know, it's maybe a little warmer in Greece, but um, it's a bigger mainland than people realize. Greek is more than just an island nation, and Greece is actually the third most mountainous country in Europe. Oh wow! And um, so yeah, there's a big mainland. There's a lot of islands. And there's more than just beaches there, um, but the the vibe of daily life is is very different. I'm kind of been working and living in the past here in Silicon Valley, and everything's really fast paced. And in Greece, it's different. It's slower. Um, as a result, the economy is not as good. It's harder for people there to find a job. It's um, but the lifestyle is different. You know, they get a month off in the summer mm-hmm. and they, um, yeah, they live life differently. They yep. have a, you know, two hour coffee with their buddies during the day. 
That's right. And uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice thing. It's a, it's a little difficult to get used to. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Do you still find yourself uh, slowly getting into that life or do you find yourself really uh, kind of just staying with the hard, you know, grinding? And Well, I'm not even sure on your, how much you work per day, but do you find yourself working less there than you do here? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm really trying to get into the... Uh, that vibe of a little bit slower of a pace. It's, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it was needed for me. I was working, you know, in starting a small company myself, I was working two jobs for many years and, um, now I'm just running this company, a few little side projects, but I'm just running this company and yeah, have the ability to slow down and also concentrate and execute my company better. And, um, yeah. So, but like yeah. I said, I'm not there, uh, Permanently, I'm still back here. I'm going to go into the warehouse today and work with my guys here. And um, yeah, keep exploring. Yeah, that's great. Over in Greece also, people wouldn't even know, but there are trout there and there is trout fishing. There is nothing on the internet though. Um, so it's just like, you know, another point in why I want to make what the gear we'll talk about soon that travels well is there really are trout and fishing opportunities anywhere in the world. So it's really cool to see that. Yeah. I want to hit you up on that a little bit too, because I, we always, when we can explore some of the other countries around the world, a lot of our stuff is North America focused, but yeah, I know, I know you've got, yeah, Greece. I mean, there's all sorts of great fishermen and, and people to talk to. So that, that'll be something maybe we could leave for a, a future uh, kind of chat or episode on that. But uh, let, let, let's get into the rod. Let's get into this rod. Yeah. This is the real unique, this is the rod you know, when this comes out, um, you know, it will probably be, uh, you know, I'll have used it even more, but I've used it, you know, a few times here and it's really unique. It's it actually cast really nicely, but talk about, just t- take it to somebody who doesn't know they're jumping right now. They don't know about the rear gear brand or this rod, you know, describe it. Yeah, for sure. So this rod is a combination of kind of a Tenkara rod and a traditional rod all mashed up into one. Um, and essentially, uh, the idea came up as, like I said, I wanted to travel better and um, be able to fish faster, honestly. And every fishing opportunity I saw as the ADD outdoorsman, I would classify myself as. And uh, I got a Tenkara at one point, and it didn't seem to fit the bill because there wasn't a reel to either change my casting distance or uh, fight a big fish in uh a decent way where I'm not literally running downstream uh, to follow them. So yeah, I with the idea of that rod, I broke that, oh, these are hollow inside, and how a Tankara uh, telescopes to collapse, I am running the line on the inside of a telescoping fly rod. And this is for sure different than anything on the market. Um, but it looks clean when it's, when it's in use, there's no eyelets on this rod and it telescopes and all the fine fragile sections actually go inside the rod handle, which pretty much acts as the case for the rod, uh, so that it travels well and travels safely along with when you collapse it, the line stays in the rod. So you can just extend and cast and it's always rigged up. So if you have a favorite fly, you can leave it on there and, um, yeah, cruise around for your day, leave that fly on there for a month, you know, whatever. It's always ready to rock. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's ready to rock and roll. And, and it really, it's a smooth transition to setting it up because it's packed down. And you could literally, I was doing this with my kids a couple times when we were out there. When I first had it, I was like, check this out. And, and you could, I'm not sure if you're supposed to do this, but you could almost literally like have this thing, thing broken down completely and cast it. And I mean, the rod will literally shoot out and, and, and become a full length rod. I, I know that's not mm-hmm. the recommended way to do it, but it's really smooth. Like talk about how you did that, design that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I will just say the, uh, the lightsaber technique of opening it, you <laughs> know, not the best. Uh, is very fun. And I played around with that a lot and I, it is also a good way to get it stuck open. Just, oh, you know, it's, too hard. If it's too fast, if you open it too fast, you do stick it open, but, yep. uh, it is very fun. Good so point. if everybody wants to do that, go for <laughs> it. Just don't do it with too much, you know, gusto, I guess. And then you're good to go. Um, but yeah, so I started experimenting, uh, kind of my past job was in product development for some wild Silicon Valley companies and, um, also, yeah, in product development and manufacturing. And I started thinking about like, how do I come out with this idea of mine? And I just, I started experimenting. I, I chopped up a few Tankaras. I made a few samples with plastic tubing from the hardware store i 3d printed a handle because if if you go on our website you can see the handle is different because the line actually enters inside the rod just above the cork essentially so i needed to do a lot of experimenting with how the line went inside the rod um i later did a lot of experiments with uh you know, water interaction inside the rod and if hmm. dirt gets inside the rod, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of stuff along with the collapsing technique, because if, um, the goal was to collapse the line, you know, still inside the rod. So it took some tricks to figure out how to tuck everything in there well and make it that clean traveling kit. So I worked on that, you know, at the casting ponds and, um, you know, in my garage, in my workshop, all that kind of stuff. And it took um, somewhere between a year and a year and a half to come out with the kind of the final package you see now and start building them. That's it. And start building them. So so now you have this rod, which seems like it's a very clean package and and, you know, the, the real, everything's really, and actually, like I said, the casting, it casts really nice. Talk about the, you know, first, because people, some people listening to this are probably wondering, like, why would I need this rod versus, say, just a four-piece rod? Or even, I mean, some of these rods, right, they even break down smaller. Um, because this rod isn't necessarily, like, you know, for everyone or, like, your only rod. Talk about who it's for and then and start there. For sure. Yes, yes. This is a very different rod. So the idea behind this rod is it can be used, it's mainly just, it's used for versatility. This is not gonna be your competition casting rod. This is not gonna be, um, yeah, the most sensitive rod on the market. And uh, yeah, it's a rod to be versatile, to have fun in any situation. It's almost, um, you know, like I, simply want to have a rod always available to fish anywhere that's what this rod really is for they they pack down depending on the version between 17 and 19 inches fully rigged up as we would say 
So it can fit in any backpack. It can fit in the door pocket of mm -hmm. your car. Uh, it fits in some glove boxes, for example. Hmm. It could fit in the top door drawer of your desk, likely. You know, it yep. fits anywhere with your fly tied on. And um, yeah, so you can take it on a hike. You can take it on out on your lunch break and um, or even use it as a second rod. Some people, you know, they like their whichever kit they fish most of the time. And let's say you have a dry fly setup you want to use. And then after you go through a run, you want to pull out this rod and do a couple swings of a streamer, let's say. Right. And yep. then you you can really cover that ground if you want. Or, or hand this rod to a buddy, whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, it's not meant to be a $1,000 competition casting rod. It's versatile and to have fun, you know. Exactly. Yeah, and for me, like right now, I've got in the back, in my backpack, just like ready to go. So it's kind of nice. You kind of always have it there. You don't have to worry about, yeah, really anything. I mean, you could literally just make it really basic. And if you come across, you know, something, you know, in your journeys, you've always got, I could see a lot of other people, probably like the backpacking community would be probably really good, you know, for this. Mm -hmm. Obviously, people that are out there doing the, you know, the Continental Divide, you know, whatever trails, you know, they always got this thing. They don't have a ton of room. And the Tinkara maybe isn't quite, you know, what they need. You know, maybe they're going to fish a lake. You know, I, I can see that yeah. lots, lots of lakes where they need a rod that can actually cast. Uh, so this could be that yeah. rod. I, I can see that. I mean, just that, literally just the backpacking community uh, for, you know, those folks would be cool. But talk about that. So you got the Tinkara. Is this thing, as far as the way it, it telescopes kind of out back and forth, is that pretty much, I'm not that familiar with Tinkara. Is that kind of how most Tinkara rods do it as well? Yeah, so I do also have a Tenkara rod as um, I'm working on some lighter and smaller oh, right. rods. And, and was the Tenkara, Derek, was the Tenkara before? Did you have that in your line or after you, hmm. you did the uh, the first, the rod that we're talking about with the reel, the first cast? Yeah, and um, the, the Tenkara rod is a recent addition as um, I am, yeah, trying to find a rod that's, that's a little bit... Uh, yeah, more sensitive rod for kind of smaller waters and stuff. So I wanted to add a Tenkara rod. And what I'm really trying to also do is add some innovation into fly fishing as it's a it's a very traditional um, market and sport, as everyone here knows. Uh, even the Tenkara guys and gals are very particular about what a Tenkara rod is. And, all, and what I did is I just wanted to update it to once again have a rigged and ready kit. And I uh, added a Tenkara to our lineup that has line keepers on it. So you can always leave your line uh, set up on the rod and a fly tied on for the same mentality uh, of the other rod. And, um, and I also uh, forgot to go over the name of the rod. So the name of our regular telescoping rod is called the First Cast Fly Rod. And uh, it's named that way for a few reasons. Uh, it's the first cast essentially of this company of what we're making. Mm -hmm. And it's also because when you get on the water, you're going to be the first person <laughs> of your group to make a cast right. on the water. Yeah. And that first cast honestly is, is really an important cast in any, any little pool or riffle you go to. That's your first chance to either, you know, spook or, uh, or catch that fish waiting, waiting for you in there. And, a lot of my best fish were on the first casts in any little piece of water. So there you go. That is where we got the name of that rod. 
There you go. And, and the rare gear, talk about that really quick. That, that comes from uh, how, how you came up with that because it's spelled a little differently. It's R-E-Y-R. Yeah, R-E-Y-R. Uh, so rare sounds like the word unique, you know, rare, R-A-R-E. And, um, but my an engineer that was helping me originally with kind of the handle design and, and how we'd tuck this thing up and yeah, we worked on it together. He is of Icelandic descent and throughout the project, we were thinking of names for the rod and the company. And he says, hey, how about rare? In Icelandic, it means cane or pole. And then it also has this uh, unique sound. And I s- said, I love it. So, yeah, that's that's, it. that's how it came to be. And the Icelandic community is all about fishing as well. So it, it seems like it all fits. Yeah. And talk about a little bit. I just thought about this as you're talking here. So you've got, I think there's some other rods maybe out there. Maybe they're older where they're they're telescopic. Uh, but they have uh, like the guides on the outside, right? Um, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's not any of those anymore. But talk about why you did with got rid of the guides altogether because it does look cool when you have this thing extended. I mean, the rod looks like kind of a something you've never seen before. So talk about why you did the line. You know, got rid of the guides and put the line inside versus just having a telescopic with the guides on the outside. Yeah, you know, we're really innovative here. This is like the iPhone of fishing rods. You right. Know, iPhone removed the buttons. We removed the eyelets. Yep, there you go. That's um, right, the, the home button, right? Everybody was pissed when they removed the home button, but now everybody loves it. Yeah, um, but we, <clears throat> so we got rid of the eyelets because I, yeah, I tested a few rods just like this, and I am one to really want my gear to show up to the river intact, and I broke a ton of those mm. uh, telescoping uh, rods with eyelets on the outside gotcha. because they the fragile parts are are still sticking out of that rod. Yeah, and and you tuck it you tuck it all together, and then the case situation. By the time you put a case or if you put a rigid case around that rod to make it you know show up alive, it would. It's very bulky. It's still 20 to 24 inches like a right. standard rod, and it doesn't kind of fit those other, yep. you know, check boxes I want to I want to do of easily transporting this rigged and ready rod anywhere. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it didn't really fit the, the bill of what I was trying to do. Yeah, that's it. No, I mean, it makes total sense now that you explain it because 100%, yeah, you're going to you know, it's going to make it longer. That's one bad thing. Yeah. I mean, even seven inches is a lot longer when you're talking about putting in your backpack. And so mm-hmm. that's good. So talk about where I'm going to be taking it. If I'm heading up to a trip, um, let's just say to Alaska or well, let's just say I'm going up to Alaska for some big rainbow fishing. Is this a rod mm-hmm. that, uh, I might throw in there as a, like a backup rod or a, a main rod to use up there for some of the bigger fish there? Yeah. So yeah, our six, you know, our six, seven weight rod is, is a good rod for that. Um, I would say if you're doing a dedicated guide trip with eight to 12 hours fishing in a day, maybe you want to use a standard rod, you know, that's, that's not the the hot spot, if you will, for this rod. Um, but it's for sure a backup or on the road up to Alaska. Let's say you drive, there's going to be a ton of water you're going to cross on the way, take a few casts here and there. And, um, yeah, it's a great versatile rod. I've landed up to 30 something inch pike on oh, their wow. six, seven weight rod. 
and um, definitely numerous trout. I don't have all yeah. the specs on the top of my head, but um, how was that fight? How was the thirty-inch pike? How how was that on the six weight, seven weight? Oh, it was awesome. So I was actually um, in England at the time. I made uh, I spent some time in England as well, and. You know, I think you guys are catching on that this travel and fishing thing I'm into. Uh, but yeah, I was over there. I made friends with a local pike fishing guy. He was mainly a bait and spinning rod guy. But I said, hey, show me what's up with this pike game. And we went to a river that you can literally, it was so cool. You could literally hop across the river. Maybe it's 10 feet wide, let's say, gentle river. And you could sight fish for these big pike in there. And um, so I was chucking around an eight-inch orange streamer, essentially, to try to find these pike with a wire leader. And uh, I moved a few and, until we, hmm. got this, uh, we got this one to hit. And they, uh, they're interesting fish. They're so much different than trout. They do a very slow approach and then a violent hit right and mm -hmm. yeah a violent hit and they don't run very far like a trout would run yep. downstream and take you into backing let's say but they yeah they kind of hold their ground in the river and they they put up a good fight um but it's a different it's a different thing they're a strong yeah how was it casting that thing the the eight inch fly with it oh it was yeah that was it was a little different you know um I didn't essentially make the rod to cast eight inch right, exactly. flies in, in a lead and like a steel leader, but it worked. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of keep an open loop and just do your best to get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Do your best to get it out there. And, um, yeah, we were kind of negotiating the, uh, yeah, just so those guys wouldn't see us in kind of this small stream area. Um, yeah. so yeah, it had a couple little challenges Yeah. and super fun. Yeah, super fun. New experiences. Nice, nice. I'm going to definitely be using I'm going to test that thing out as I go this year on some different, you know, trips, and I'll, I'll always have it. That's the cool thing. It, you know, it definitely is a cool rod just to have there. I mean, I want to test it out and just check it out with different species. Um, but for you, I mean, have you done, I mean, like testing-wise, have you had, I mean, have you broken this thing? Has there been any situations where it's like heading, or is this thing just kind of bomber? How's all that look? Mm. Yeah, so I've definitely broken a bunch in the shop in testing um on purpose and uh i broke in one during setup as i was being uh foolish but learning and yeah. there's a setup video to talk about it but i it was me being foolish um and then during fishing i've actually not broken any rods and i've been fishing them now really hard since 2018 mm -hmm. i even on that pike, I actually really leaned back and tried to break the rod, Yeah, <laughs> honestly, and it didn't happen. And so I was very pleased. Yep. Um, I also, yeah, challenge the customers. If they do break a rod, especially on a nice fish, yeah, uh, yeah, send me a picture. We'll get you replacement parts. And especially if you've a broken rod and a big fish in hand, if you're still able to land them, right? that's uh, an amazing hero shot. So, uh, and that's the cool thing about this rod, like the, because the way it works is, you know, a telescope. So you, you pop the bottom off if you need to, and you could literally pull out, right. And add a new piece into that. Is that kind of how you do that? Really simple. Yeah. 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 Out, out the butt cap, um, of the bottom of the rod, you can pull out all the sections and, uh, feed a new one in and be, 
be fishing again just in a few minutes. Um, and but yeah, we're here for for lifetime warranty support. If there is some defect in your rod somewhere, or you break it, yeah, um, you hit it against a tree. That's cool. As long as long as you're not you know feeding it to your dog or. If you run over it with your truck, I'm yeah. uh, going to ask for you guys to pay, but we have very affordable replacement sections. Gotcha. That's great. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I love the uh, you know the innovation and the new ideas, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what we recently did an episode, like the history of fly fishing, talking about some of the old reels that you look back and, and gear in the past, right, 100, 200 years ago. You know what I mean? It, it's all about innovation. Some of those things that were really innovative that stuck are with us today and some things that didn't, right? So, I mean, we, we mm-hmm. don't know. We don't know where this will go, but maybe this thing's going to be around and it's going to create some more people thinking about it, right, and designing new things because you'll probably see, uh, I'd imagine, down the line some other similar products. Are, are there any similar things out there to what you're doing now? Yeah, there's a, there's another telescoping fly rod or two, but they have eyelets yeah. and um they're more what you would think of as a telescoping rod. And, um, but those come on and off the market, it seems every year or two. Right. But, um, yeah, but yeah, I'm obviously hoping this idea sticks. Uh, we are not trying to take over Orvis and Sage or do anything <laughs> right. like that. Yeah. We're trying to make a fun tool. And yeah. A, another thing we're trying to do also is try to attract, um, a broader audience to fly fishing. And maybe, you know, backpackers that are interested in fly fishing or regular camping people that say, hey, I camp near rivers all the time. I want to take a stab at this. Or even the diehard steelheader that wants to go get into backpacking or hiking. Yep. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of the thing. It's kind of a cross sport rod as well. And I I am finding it to a lot of people are soaking that up and getting it and excited about the idea. So it's good. Right. Yeah, I imagine that would be the place, you know, you could probably look at the Tenkara. We were just talking to uh, Brandon Moon with Moonlit Fishing. Yeah, yeah Fly Fishing. And he has a tank. I think he has a Tenkara line or purchased a company in the Tenkara. And he was talking about that, how the Tenkara, you know, is just definitely, you know, it, it's a growing thing. I mean, people are still out there looking for that, even though maybe in your niche you might not see it. But, you know, do you look at that when you think like Tinkara, that might be your ideal customer, somebody who either is in the same, maybe the same person that buy a Tinkara rod might buy this rod? Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think the audience is maybe even broader than that because yeah. a lot of people like myself really want the capability of a reel. Um, so you can still use this rod just like a Tinkara. You can, you know, send out 10 or 12 feet of line use it like a Tenkara. And then if you get a nice fish, you have a reel to back it up, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. All that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or the casting and you have the whole package comes from, and the reel, you know, is nice and smooth and clean and, and the line. I mean, how does all that look? So from somebody coming into it, I mean, obviously you've got the Silicon, you know, Silicon Valley sort of background, but how do you get into the producing, you know, the rods, one thing, that's a challenge. You know, the reel maybe is the easier thing, but the light is also a challenge. How do you get into producing all, all the other stuff? Yeah, so this, that's a good comment. This, um, this comes as a kit. So a lot of people like to mix and match their reels and lines and, you know, make what they think is going to be the best kit for their situation. What we're really trying to do also is a, make a grab-and-go kit. Um, 
this is already this is sold with the line already rigged up a reels already on the rod so you literally take it out of the box you can tie in your fly and take a cast um, we're doing that because the line is pretty specific to the rod we worked on a lot of through a few line companies and line specialists uh, coatings textures all kinds of stuff because simply the line contacts the rod so much more than a traditional rod mm -hmm. rather than just those eyelets uh, on the outside. So it doesn't make it a more challenging uh, yeah, line and design exercise to make sure the kit works well. As a result, we have yeah, an awesome line with some fancy coatings on it, basically hydrophobic mm. uh, coatings. To keep the water off there and keep it sticking from inside the rod it still is not going to double haul as well as a traditional fly rod and get you that 100 foot cast let's say but um but it works great it is yeah. so much better than a traditional line um along with a few other tricks on the inside of the rod um but yeah so we worked that was part of that year-long development is really working out all the fine details so that it's a full package that works well together and the real like you say that was uh that was easy that was uh, off the shelf you know we're not changing the reel so i worked with a few real companies to test a few put them you know drop them in the sand and the salt water just to really put them through their paces and uh work on a little bit of a design that we like and uh and yeah we have a nice reliable reel um and once again yeah if you have issues we'll warranty anything if you have an issue but we really we really don't have many issues out there which is really nice to see that's cool and, and i was just thinking you know i always think of the different places this would be cool i mean you know, Hawaii might be another one of those places where maybe you're going for the family. Maybe it's not a fishing trip, but you tuck in that rod, right? And your little fly box with a couple of flies. Is this for salt? Mm -hmm. is, it, is it good to go in salt? You know, same sort of thing, just kind of once you're done, wash it off? Yeah, rinse out the inside, take off the butt cap and kind of rinse it off. I wouldn't, you know, advertise this as the number one uh, salt rod once again. But yeah, you can turn any trip into a fishing trip with this rod. And um yeah, play around on the beach, go find some fish. Um, is a is a great way to use that rod. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and one more thing on the line. I'm just curious on the line. So you have the special coating that keeps it smooth. So now I know just myself and anybody will say this. You go on a big trip. Well, not anybody. Anybody that knows a good tip. Like you go on a new trip for a fishing trip. If you're spending a lot of money, uh, you know, for this trip, you might as well buy a new line. Especially if you're spending a lot to go to some lodge or something, because the line could be your most important thing to make your day successful. Um, do you find that maybe that's even more the case with your line, since it's important to keep it smooth uh, on the inside? that you should really be able to talk about that a little bit. How often is somebody going to be replacing mm. it? And is it more important to replace more often? Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't say you need to replace it um, any in, in any extreme cadence or anything. Um, like I said, I've been testing these rods and running them since 2018. And I change the line maybe once a year, but I'm fishing this thing like crazy, you know? Um, so I would say the regular customer is going to get two to four years out of a line. Mm. Um, okay. Without any change in performance. Yeah. Basically it'll be good no, to go. No, I yeah. don't think there's going to be a change in performance. 
if you do find yourselves fishing in like a sandy, super dirty area that somehow you're getting um, debris inside the rod, you can take out the butt cap and rinse it out, or you can take the line all the way out and rinse out all the sections and, um, and clean the line and you're good to go. There's a, uh, yeah, there's not a big wear factor on this. Um, once again, leading to that, you know, grab and go, don't think too much about the gear. Think about the fishing kind of idea is what we're hoping people go after. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so we dug into a little bit. I want to talk a little bit, uh, a little more about just the process, but just take us through before we get out of here, kind of a, some of the other products. I know you have a few, we talked about the 10 car rod, but you got a mm-hmm. couple other things going describe what, what you have there. Yeah. So, uh, we have two versions at the moment of our first cast fly rod, the telescoping rod. We have a Tenkara that is the only Tenkara on the market with built-in line keepers for the same rigged and ready um, mentality. And then we also have a kit to round it out to make this whole thing a, a package, if you will. We have a hip pack or fanny pack that you can secure the rod to the bottom of that and go on your hike or walk around or just use that as your daily uh, fishing pack. Uh, we also have a net that has a belt loop on it. It's a collapsible net, actually, that we teamed up with Handy Pack Net Company, and they are in Pennsylvania. I really wanted to develop our own folding net, and I was working on a bunch of ideas with uh, me and my engineer, and you know, stumbled upon something they've been making since the '60s. So I am—I partnered up with them to offer some of those in our shop, and it really fits the bill. The net is awesome. You can pull it out like you're a cowboy, essentially, and it opens up, and you can, yeah, scoop up your fish. And then when you're done using it, you collapse it, kind of like a sunscreen on your windshield. Uh, it will make sense if someone looks it up yep. on the website uh, to fold it up. And, uh, and it just sits on your hip. It's not hanging off your back or getting caught on a tree as you're bushwhacking. It's so awesome to tuck out of the way. Yeah, so, that's cool. Along with, if you wanted to put it in a backpack, you can't put a regular net in a backpack, let's say, a standard backpack. And yeah. um, this net does it. And then I'm also working on a few things coming out very soon um, for some fishing footwear that follows the same mentality. You know, light and practical and um yeah just to get you out there and those hopefully coming out in a month or two yep that's it and and it sounds like yeah the more you dig into this you're really focused on obviously the travel and making things really easy for somebody and you know net and i love the the flip out net that's a great uh we'll definitely put a link in the in the show notes to to show Mm -hmm. that uh show how that works but uh you know this is cool i think for me it's like you know again you get back to the tin car or whatever else it's always nice to have somebody to say hey you know, what are you looking for? You know, go here. If you need a tin car or you want a, you know, a rod to get you started, or if, you, if you're going backpacking, you need something simple that has everything. I mean, that's kind of the market, right? You're trying to serve, at least as a starting, as a big starting point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the market I'm trying to serve. Um, yeah. Versatile rod to help you have fun and go fishing anywhere. And it's, it fits uh, the newcomer to the sport. And then it also fits the diehard that wants you know, we have that whole quiver of rods, right? Yeah. We want that want that rod for, yeah, whether it sits in the uh, car all the time or whether it's, uh, yeah, comes out on a family hike or yeah. wherever it comes out. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And is the Tenkara rod, if you look at the cost, is the Tenkara rod quite a bit uh, less expensive than the, the first cast? Yeah, it is. So, um, yeah, our Tenkara is uh, two, uh, sorry, the standard rod is 279 Tenkara rod is 169 for the kit. Uh, and it comes with the line and everything already on it and a spare tip as well. So I would say it's in line or even a little cheaper after all the goodies like the line and the extra tip are included with the other 10 cars on the market. Yeah, pretty similar. And, and then our first cast kit is 279 which um, after you look at the line and the reel and the full package, I think is a really great uh, price for that kit. And um, yeah, get you out there. That's it. And if somebody was brand new to fly fishing, or maybe you're getting a you know a present or something like that for somebody, would the would you recommend getting the Tenkara first as a way to get into it, and then and then pick up the first cast, or what would be your recommendation hmm. there? Good question. Uh, yeah, you know the Tenkara is a step easier, and you there's less little less line management to think about, and uh, they can concentrate on on getting a nice drift and all that. Um, but maybe it also depends on the waters they're trying to fish. Hmm. So. I would leave it up to, you know, the listeners here, I think are very in tune with fly fishing and maybe can make that decision. But, um, yeah. but yeah, either any of the rods I think are good, but the Tenkara is a step simpler. Yeah, simpler. That's right. And that's what I've heard is that just, yeah, the Tenkara, you know, if you have somebody that's maybe, you know, doesn't know or struggling and just wants to get going right away and, you know, get some action with the fish you know, that that's an easy way to get going on it for sure. But yeah, it depends on your thing. If you're going on a, you know, on a two week or a month long uh, hiking expedition, you know, and you got your backpack and, you know, you just need a rod, you're going to be hitting ponds and lakes, then probably mm-hmm. having the reel so you could cast a little further is better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, tell me this. So you were going through this whole process. You sounds like you have, a, and what was your background at Silicon Valley? Were you a, what was your, your job there? What was your main role? Yeah, I was a manufacturing engineer and project manager, essentially. Yeah, so engineer, mm-hmm. yeah, so you know all about that. So what it was doing this rod, building this rod, it's so unique. Um, you know, what was the biggest uh, kind of challenge or struggle along the way? Did you have a few? Oh, uh, I mean, everywhere along the way, I'm changing how things are done, right? Um, I'm not manufacturing the rod by myself in a garage, right? I'm, I'm going with kind of a trusted rod uh, manufacturer to help me build this thing. But it's also, it's, it's, you know, it's a mind bending idea for them because they've been building rods a certain way for so long. So it took a, a long time also to get them really on board with the idea. And, um, you know, even after I'd tested and, and found what works, it was, uh, yeah, tough to get everybody in the supply chain on board with this. And then, um, honestly, you know, marketing and talking to people is is tough with this rod to spread yeah. this idea because they're like, what is this? Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's, yeah, a lot of conversations about it and a lot of talk to convince people this isn't a gimmick. This is actually, mm-hmm. you know, this is actually a real piece of sporting equipment that is getting used and it's it's now getting used worldwide we have rods all around the world and um yeah it's just a new twist on on what we are doing in the sport and um yeah i hope more people take it on but it's 
I'm open for conversations, phone calls and emails from customers as uh, that is a lot of my life because mm-hmm. people are trying to understand this new idea. That's right. Do you answer if somebody's going to call? Are you the person answering? Is it kind of you kind of, you know, one man show running, doing all ends of everything? Yeah. So I have a, I have a warehouse guy. Uh, I have a warehouse, uh, two warehouse guys, essentially each part time. And, uh, they're helping do some assembly and logistics stuff and, um, all that. And then I'm taking care of customer service and, um, the, the rest of the business aspects. Um, so yeah, if they send me an email, we can, we can talk there or we can schedule a call and all that. That's it. Okay, perfect. And we'll send everybody out just to, uh, yeah, like we said, the start raregear.com uh, uh, to connect with you there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you just email the website on there, or you can get me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at raregear.com, and and we can chat. Nice, nice. Well, and it, tell me this on the Silica. I'm always interested in this a little bit. You know, you live that life for, it sounds like, quite a while. And uh, you got out. Well, it sounds like you kind of uh, retired from that life, which is really cool. Hmm. What's your take on that? If you'd have to explain that to somebody who hasn't really been in that that environment, what, what's the what's the great thing about being in Silicon Valley with everything that's going on and working? There? Were we there for like twenty oh. years or something? Yeah. So I worked in Silicon Valley. I have a fifteen year career essentially in Silicon Valley, and it's it's amazing and hectic and stressful and crazy i don't know it's it's all all of it so it never lets up it never lets up and that's the reason you know all these things that's the reason tesla and now lucid and a bunch of other cars are coming out of the bay area and that is why the iphone came out of there because they are racing against everyone else in the world um to stay ahead and to have the best and to have the most innovative stuff so i was on the manufacturing and product development side of that where we needed to my business or the company i was working for in the past was rapid prototyping so you can imagine the pace of that Hmm. in silicon valley we i got designs submitted to us you know uh wednesday afternoon for thursday morning delivery oh wow yeah Wow, you get designed, they would say, what would they say? You get designed Wednesday afternoon, they'd say, do what before Thursday? Uh, yeah, we do 3D printing. Is In that time frame, all you can do is 3D printing. And we had various, we had six or seven different technologies of 3D printing, depending on what they were trying to make. And we do that. Um, we had a CNC shop. We had a little injection molding shop. We had all kinds of stuff. Um, it was my job to help figure out how to get these things made. You know, granted, a lot of them had longer lead times than one day, but there was plenty that had one day lead times where we would need to build the part and then have a courier drive it directly. There's like no time for FedEx, for example. Yeah, wow. Um, so that is the pace of the Silicon pace. Valley. And uh, I developed my own product also a little bit to slow down, you know, take some time on the river, if you will. Um, and yeah, I'm really liking the bit slower pace of running my own company it for sure comes with its own challenges plenty of challenges but um but yeah i'm a little bit more a master of my own schedule and um success or failure at this point um but it was really cool to learn i learned so much in trying to make all these crazy things that any of the silicon valley companies you can think of 
whether they're software or the car companies. Off the top of your head, we worked for them um, because they needed help as we were experts in prototyping and product development. Right, right. And when you, so as you're doing this and you're just, you know, it sounds like the, the actual, a lot of times the, like you're doing now, the solo, the entrepreneurial thing can be, seem stressful at times because you run the whole thing, but you came from that environment. So this, this, what you're doing now actually seems like it's more laid back. It sounds like. Oh my God, this is way more laid back. Um, wow. Yes. That's, that's really cool. And are you planning on, are you planning on like, uh, you know, trying to eventually scale this, bring on more people to help with, you know, kind of the stuff you're doing fly fishing? Um, yeah, maybe a person or two. I have someone that helps me with, you know, digital marketing cause that's hard to figure out. Um, but yeah, and I have my warehouse guy and me and at the moment, I think we're going to, we're going to cruise like that. We're not looking to take over the, you know, retail domination or anything. I think we are going to stay direct to consumer, um, based on the currently how different the product is to everything out there. And I want to have a yeah a close customer contact loop so I can talk to them, I can help them explain and understand and have fun with this rod um, to ultimately just create the best customer experience is why we're going to stay small and stay uh, consumer direct for the moment. Um, but we are expanding to try to sell in Europe now. That's the next step. Oh, in Europe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's perfect. And as we head out here, one, one last one, I was just thinking again, you know, somebody listening here might be thinking about, you know, developing something or maybe they have a business and kind of mm. developing products. What would be your, what would be your tip to them if they say, okay, I've got this idea for a new concept. What, what would you tell them to help them maybe, uh, you know, not struggle as much? Oh yeah. Uh, test often and test early. You actually don't need to spend much money to test any product idea. You'd be surprised what you can do with, you know, cardboard and some tape. Uh, huh. You could, I could potentially even today build a, you know, a mock of my rod with cardboard and tape and, and test an idea. Any prototype you make is never going to test everything. Let's say it's not going to test the flex of the rod, right? And the action, but you can test a couple other features. Um, so test one feature at a time and you'll get to the end of your product development cycle. So in your rod, how would the cardboard ex or whatever, like your example, how would that be tested? Like, it seems like your rod's mm. so unique that how could you, you know, make anything as a, as a, um, a prototype that would be even close, but is that, that, that's what you did essentially? Uh, yeah, 3d printing. I, ha I had those tools available to me, so I was able to use some 3d printed stuff, but I also did some cardboard things, some tubes from the hardware store that only cost a few bucks that, you know, they weren't, they didn't have the action of our other stuff, but I was able to work on the telescoping sequence and gotcha. how everything tucked together. Yeah. And it was nice. I used like clear tubes so I could look at how all things right. were collapsing. Um, there's all kinds of cool techniques that for a few bucks you can do. And if anyone has product ideas, they can email me and one of the things I really like doing and would love to do is help other entrepreneurs with their ideas since I literally was paid to learn that yeah. stuff for uh, a living. And it's it seems so daunting to the normal person as they watch Shark Tank and they say, you need a million bucks. You don't need a million bucks to come out with a product. No. It all just depends on your approach. So yeah, if anyone's right. got a product idea, email me and um, ask some questions and I'd love to help people out uh i'm not going to do it for you but i'd love to help you uh down the path 
Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's a, I appreciate you offering that out there. I think that sounds like, yeah, you got some good knowledge there and definitely we'll, we'll send some people your way to hit you up. Um, cool, Derek. Well, I think this has been uh, definitely a good little intro to what you have going. And I think, you know, like I said, it's a, it's definitely a unique product. This is maybe the most unique product, you know, many of us have seen out there. And the fact mm-hmm. that you're, you know, you're going strong on it is what, you know, helped me to kind of you know, trust where you're going with this. And, and now having used the rod and stuff like that, you see that it's legit. So yeah, I just want to thank you for, uh, you know, putting this together and, uh, you know, supporting the show and, you know, moving forward here. I'm looking forward to the next, uh, you know, months ahead and, uh, yeah. Anything you want to leave us with before we get out of here? No, thanks for having me on and thanks for you and for all the, uh, yeah. Subscribers for, listening to this new wild idea yeah check it out on the website at least take a peek at it um yeah. and yeah reach cool. out if you want to have more questions okay I'll, I'll send out a uh i'll put a link in the show notes obviously where people can go check it out and maybe we'll get a couple of videos in there as well with you uh, maybe we'll shoot that do the, the get the good light lightsaber uh photo or uh do you have that on video something where you showed it where you're not supposed to do <laughs> well, right? i don't have that on video because i don't want people yeah that's to right be mimicking <laughs> that's it right what not to do but uh but there's some fun videos where I show uh, like uh, me and a buddy, he sets up his eight piece travel rod and I set up my rod next to him. And uh, it's pretty good. I, I'll bet uh, it's a race to who can set up and cast first. Uh, you might yeah. guess who wins. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. You'll be yeah. surprised at how much I win by. Right. Well, it's got to be second. I mean, it's got to be literally, it takes, you know, five seconds to set your rod up and a travel rod would take you a, a minute probably, right? At least. Oh, it took, yeah. Anyways, check out the video. It's <laughs> a right. fun one. All right, good. Um, but yeah, there's kind of stuff like that on the website and all that. So okay, check it out. All right, perfect. We'll send everybody out again, raregear.com. And uh, until we uh, talk more, we'll leave it at there. Thanks, Derek. Good deal. All right. Have a great day. So there you go. If you want to check out the show notes, the raw, the links, and all the other good stuff we talked about today, wetflyswing.com slash 315-315. We'll get you all the good, all the goodness. If you have a question uh, for me, if you have a show topic idea, a guest, or just want to check in, uh, you can go to Dave at wetflyswing.com, or you can check in on social media if you're out there on Facebook, uh, anywhere, whatever. Uh, please stop in and, and let me know. Anytime I'm out there, would love to hear from you and love to say hi. That's all I got for you today. I appreciate you for hanging in and checking out the show. Again, reminder, uh, Derek's got this 20% off, and this is a unique uh, special for this podcast. You can go to raregear.com and use the coupon code WETFLY20. And you support this podcast by clicking over and to check out Rare Gear. And if you use that code, I want to say thank you in advance. This rod is definitely pretty cool. I've been using it quite a bit. It's very well, very well produced. Obviously, you heard some of the differences between this rod and you know your typical standard rod, but um, this has a lot of good features and is a really cool setup. So if nothing else, check it over, uh, click over there and take a look and just get a look at it. I'm sure you probably already have if you've been listening this long into the show. Okay, I think we're heading to, um, I think we're heading to Missouri and California next week. Missouri and California. So if you're interested, Stick around. We'll have some more episodes for you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.